Hey guys, welcome back to Bang Bang Cults. Hello. Hi. Uh, today we're doing another choose your own adventure, pick your own, no real theme. We're just going for it. Yeah. Having fun. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's flip the coin. I guess I'll be heads. I don't have anywhere to flip it at. We have I know. stuff in front of me this it's, time. Yeah. I feel like I always just do it on the floor. Whoa! Just so everyone at home knows, it was flung across, landed nearly on my computer, but rolled off my hand until onto the floor. I straight up thought it was going to go in your wine. I, that was pretty close. I wouldn't be mad. At least the wine, the alcohol would clean it off. But <laughs> we're at heads. Okay, I guess I'm going first. All right, tell me a story. Okay, today I'm going to tell you guys about the Nuwabian Nation of Moors. So the Nuwabian Nation of Moors was founded by Dwight York, who legally... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. It just doesn't fit the name. Dwight. No, Dwight. Dwight True? (laughs) Dwight True. Okay. (laughs) There we go. Yeah, just picture Dwight True. Just kidding. He looks nothing like Dwight True. So Dwight York had a thing with changing his name changing his persona, changing his cult's name. So he legally changed his name several times. He's used dozens of aliases. He also assumed different personas. He was a Muslim imam, a Hebrew rabbi, a Native American chief. And throughout all of these different cults, it was kind of the same cult with different names, I guess. Um, But he maintained a core teaching centered around the superiority of a black race. Okay. So a little history. Dwight York was born in 1945 in Boston. York says he went to Aswan, Egypt at the age of seven, where he learned about Islam. At the age of 19, in 1964, he was arrested for statutory rape for having sex with a 13-year-old girl. Ew. Yeah. But, like, so when I was 13, I didn't look 13. That's true. I did bad things when I was a kid. I did real bad things when I was 13. I'm pretty sure when I was 14, I dated an 18-year-old. And I totally lied, too. I was like, yeah, I'm totally 16. Yeah. So, Okay, maybe not And it's the 60s, so maybe things were a little more loosey-goosey than they are now. I'll throw him a bone on this Yeah, thing. I mean, it's not cool, but, like, for all we know, this 13-year-old could have been, like, right. looked like she was 18 and lied. Right. Yeah. Um, still shitty. So he was given a suspended sentence and put on probation. And later that same year, he was arrested for possession of a deadly weapon, assault, and resisting arrest. And this, of course, violated his probation, and he was served. He served three years in prison. I can't give him a bone on this one because I mean, no, that that no, no yeah, bone, no, that wasn't an accident. You you dug that hole and you put it in that hole. <laughs> that's all you get. <laughs> so after being released from prison in 1967, at the age of 22, York began his ministry. Um, I'm just gonna say right now. There are names here that there is no chance in hell I'm going to pronounce correctly. Like, any other name I've ever tried to pronounce in my life 
is easier than all of these. All right. We should make this a drinking game. Anytime, like, we can't pronounce something. Cause... Okay. All right. We are actually, we don't normally drink so... while we're recording, but today we are. Today we're going crazy. So let's do it. All right. Oh, boy. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> funny i took a sip and i'm gonna have to take a sip after i say this next (laughs) sentence okay so the name he began preaching under was imam isa abdullah ibn abu Bakr muhammad is that every vowel in the alphabet maybe no because there are absolutely no e's in this ah okay no e's or o's but oh. you think there would be E's. You would think so. Like Baker, Backer, I don't know, Iben? I, I, it's just I-B-N. All right, well, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> okay, so the group that, his group that he was preaching to, he called the Pan-African Nubians or Ansar Pure Sufi or Sufi? Drink. Know. Cheers. <laughs> So they were located in Brooklyn. So during this time, he worked as a street peddler in Harlem. I can say that one. Mm. (laughs) He was selling pamphlets he had written and other items like incense. Uh, York picked up a handful of followers, many of whom lived with him and his wife in their apartment. There isn't a lot of information about how he got a wife. Had a wifey. I, I looked her up can't find a lot of info interesting so he had a wife she was there she was there had some followers living with them oh really yeah i want to clean up after them i don't (laughs) have to cook for everyone yeah right this is the 60s of course she's being housewife right right um around this time he published his first book entitled bible interpretations and explanations that taught biblical theology from a skipped skeptical point of view that's the title i think the title is bible interpretations and explanations okay but it taught biblical theology from a skeptical point of view got it um and i have a quote from him from an essay that he wrote called santa or satan the fallacy of christmas i don't like that at all (laughs) i do not agree with you sir So he goes on to say, Christianity is merely a tool used by the devil to keep you, the Nubian man, woman, and child, blind to your true heritage and perfect way of life, Islam. It is another means of slavery. I don't know. That's what he says. So Christmas equals slavery. I guess, because it's Christian. But in my life, it's not. It's just Christmas. Oops. There's presents and a fake tree and for a real one. Snow. And not here, but... But, uh, yeah, I'm in Utah, <laughs> so there's usually snow and lots of alcohol. Yeah, I'm from Florida. There's you lights. Have sand. On. We have sand and Christmas lights on palm trees. Yeah, but... but sand no, men. But no slaves for... Okay. No, no. Okay. So, yeah... Uh, so in the early 1970s, they moved to Brooklyn. Wait, they were already in Brooklyn. They're <laughs> so still they, chilling in Brooklyn. They're still in Brooklyn. <laughs> and that now they're taking on the name Ansaru Allah Community. Okay. I think I got that one. I think so. Um, the men were sent to the streets to sell pamphlets and books and incense like York had been doing. 
And at this time, York began to adopt the name Dr. Malachi Z. York. Don't know when he became a doctor. Doctor now. He's a doctor now. Uh, He founded numerous esoteric or quasi-religious fraternal orders under various names during these years in the 70s and 80s. Um, At first, it was along the lines of pseudo-Islamic or black Muslim groups, and later moved to loose Afrocentric ancient Egyptian themes. Oh. Mixing ideas taken from black nationalism, Judaism, Judaism? Mm -hmm. Christianity, cryptozoology, UFO religions, popular conspiracy theories. He basically picked and chose from different parts of different beliefs in order to gain followers that might like those parts. It's the potluck of religion. Yep. Religious potluck. Religious potluck. All right. Yep. So whenever York founded a popular movement with the potential for... That's not what I meant to say. Whenever he found a popular movement with potential for either financial gain or an expansion of his membership numbers, he would adopt and adapt that movement to fit his own. That's kind of cool, though. Yeah, kind of. He was definitely utilizing what was popular. Yeah, he was making everyone feel welcome. Yeah, kind of. (laughs) Ish. Ish, but yeah. But it was mostly for his own gain. Yeah. Um, so, for instance, when York visited Sudan, he encountered the religious Uma movement. We're just going to drink for that one because yeah. I don't know. Uma. It's, I'm guessing that's how you pronounce it. Anyway, it's so fun. Uma. 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 I like it. Uma. <laughs> I hope that's how it's pronounced. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, so he then convinced members of that movement to finance a West, a Western branch that York would oversee. And once the financial agreements were in place, York changed the name of his organization from the Nubians to Ansaru Allah Community in the West. Okay. Um, and then in the future, when the indigenous movement gained popularity... York became known as Chief Black Eagle and changed the name of the organization to the Yamasee Native American Moors of the Creek Nation, which we'll get to that later. I feel like he just wants to add as many, like, words into every name as possible. Yeah. Well, I think because he's adding so many different ideologies, Mm -hmm. he has to incorporate all of them. I wonder if there's, like, drugs involved and he's like, yeah. That's the name, or like that. Probably. It didn't mention any drugs. But we are in the 60s. But it's the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and really just all time since the 60s, 60s people have been doing drugs. Yeah. Let's be real. So basically, no matter what the underlying doctrine was of the movement, it didn't matter. He would absorb it into his teachings. Um, and at different times, his organization was Hebrew, Israelite, Sufi, Christian, Kemetic, which is like New Age Egyptian. Um, and Orthodox Islamic. And during the 1980s, he was also an active musician known as Dr. York, publishing under his own record label called Passion Records. Oh. Yeah. It's a one-stop shop over here. Yeah. And I guess he also influenced some music during that time. Okay. No one I've heard of, so I don't know, probably just local new york stuff but he's an influencer but he's an influencer the og influencer yes so 
the group expanded greatly in the 70s and 80s. Um, they eventually had 500 people living in about 20 apartment buildings that he owned in the Bushwick district of Brooklyn. And according to former follower Sadik Red, yeah. Yep. Drinking. Sounds right, but we'll pull through. I mean, it's spelled S A A D I K. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, according to Sadik, sounds like sad dick. It does. Aww. I'm sorry. Poor Sadik. <laughs> so, there were between 2,000 and 3,000 followers total during this time. That's a lot. That is a lot of followers. Especially, you know, without the internet. Yeah. Word of mouth. Yeah. So, the members in Brooklyn were asked to surrender all of their possessions, live in York's barrack-style apartments in Bushwick, and work for free. They uh, Well, I mean, I guess it's kind of for free. They have a place to live. Yeah. So, work for room and board. Yeah. Yeah. So, they operated bookstores, gift shops, a clothing store, and a grocery store. And there were other branches of the group. They were founded in other U.S. cities, abroad in Trinidad, London, and Toronto. So they were getting international. Yeah. Now, but when they say other, like, branches, I assume there's, like, two people. Mm-hmm. Like, five people. Like, one person in Canada. Yeah. Like, maybe one in the Caribbean. Like, I'm gonna found yeah. the They London. make up a name, they're like, I just, I just know him, so we're yeah. both affiliated. Exactly. My affiliate in Toronto. Yep. Sounds good. So the members were given a daily quota to make of $25 to $100 a day, which, I mean, back then, that's, that's decent. Yeah. Um, which they had to reach by begging or selling literature. And those who didn't meet their quotas were beaten or otherwise disciplined. Mm-hmm. As York, a cult does. As a cult does. And, of course, as a cult does, York controlled his followers' lives. He chose their spouses, mating them according to his whim. Mm-hmm. Men and women lived in separate buildings, and when they wanted to have sex, they were forced to ask permission to use a designated room. Hmm. Ew. Right? Ugh. The sex room. Ew. It was clean. No. <laughs> not as clean as you want it to be. It's never as clean as you want it to be. No. Uh, I wonder if it had mood lighting and music or if it was just like a broom closet room. It was probably just like a broom closet. Probably. Because they didn't want to Oh, yeah, because he didn't want them to it. enjoy yeah. it. Oh, it's disappointing. I just want to have a rotating heart-shaped bed covered mm-hmm. in silk. and but, Like the bathtub, which is like constantly <laughs> filled with rose petals, just champagne. No, that was probably his his sex, personal sex. Yeah. Room. That was probably his. I mean, his, his wifey. Well, unknown wifey. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone else. We'll see. All right. Uh, So, uh, sex with one's spouse was considered a privilege, granted when one's duties had been performed satisfactorily. Okay. I can't say that word clearly. So, you do good, you get one person. You do good, you get to have sex with your spouse. Okay. That he mated you with. So, you may or may not actually want that as a thing. Yeah, that would suck. Like Maybe. punishment. He's like, <laughs> like I hate that person. He's like, well, guess what? You get to have sex with them. Congratulations. And door number three. <laughs> so 
But meanwhile, York, of course, used his group as his personal harem, and he was able to have sex with any woman he wanted in the group. Of course. Of course. He allegedly impregnated many of them, and it wasn't long until he started to pursue underage girls. None of this is surprising. You know, it's not a shocker. It's really a theme here. I mean, we started off with 13-year-olds, so... Yeah, Going back to his and days. just with cult leaders overall, yeah. no one here should be surprised. Nope, nope, nope. I'm pretty sure the whole reason people start cults is to have sex with children at this point. It's like to control people and to have sex. Yeah. And beat people. Yeah. Yeah. And then have some more sex. Exactly. Yeah. And have sex while you're beating them. Yeah, like a combo. Yeah. Like KFC Pizza Hut combo. <laughs> Yeah, I went there. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Not the sex beating combo. The food. <laughs> the food. We always bring it back to food. <laughs> One shark mind. <laughs> so York ended up purchasing an 80 acre property in the Catskills in New York in 1983. And he used it as a retreat that he called Camp Jazeer. And according to one of York's sons, he spent about $5 million to build a mansion on that land. So $5 million back then is a lot. Yeah. go really far. Very far. And it's a camp. Sometimes well, sometimes they talk about these. I'm like, that would be cool. I'm like, I'd join a cult. And then I'm like, oh, wait, no. Yeah, no, no, no. Like some things sound great. Yeah. And then other things I'm like, no, this, this is bullshit. Yeah. Oh, no. Um. So the girls and women were brought to Camp Jazir by van and lived in trailers attached to the house. So, you know, they're not living in the mansion. Of course not. No, they get to live in trailers. And under York's guidance, the children were groomed to be his sex slaves. Uh, One woman who grew up in the group recalls being sent as a six-year-old to Camp Jazir where York molested her. And another woman recounts being manipulated into having sex with York when she was 12 years old. Some of the cult's older women reportedly helped to manipulate the children, showing them pornography and sometimes participating in the molestation. Oh. Yeah. So the women were assisting in the mo- grooming them and helping them become. Yeah. I'm going to drink this one. Mm-hmm. That one. That's a drink worthy. No. Poor little babies. This wine's pretty good. It is. Delish. Uh, so, moving forward, in 1993, going into the 90s now, York buys a 470-acre property in Putnam County, Georgia, which is about 75 miles southeast of Atlanta. So, we're getting real close to some Florida man status here. And also, like, Brooklyn down? To Atlanta. Yeah. All right. Well, because he had gone up to the Catskills, too, and... Yeah, that's true, and he's trying to go international, so yeah, I mean, closer to I mean, they got someone in Toronto. That's true. So well, so the reason being, there's reasons here. So let's go back. So they're in Putnam County, Georgia. Um, the largest town in the area is Eatonton, which has a population of only like sixty-seven hundred people in two thousand, which is in the future of when they moved there. But yeah, that was. So there aren't a lot of people, so they think that the seclusion of the area is why they moved there. Because think about it, they were in Brooklyn. Yeah. 
where there's people are people are just noted. on top of each yeah. other. If they want to grow their numbers, gotta makes sense to have a compound, right? And clearly, well, there was an additional reason. So the move may have also been prompted by the group being investigated by the FBI for criminal acts that were allegedly committed, including arson, bank robberies, counterfeit checks, welfare fraud, and illegal possession of weapons. I feel like I should have put bank robberies last in that list because that's the one that surprises me the most. Yeah. And they didn't get caught. Allegedly, they were wanted for bank robberies. Hmm. I guess back then security wasn't as tight. Yeah, they just were like, "Here, just take it." Yeah. So during most of this time in New York, the group was wearing a lot of like Muslim garb, and a lot of their beliefs were based on Islam because that was his main, um, what he and what he really liked was Islam. So that was mostly what their belief system was while they were in New York. But once they moved to Georgia, they kind of dropped the pretense of being Muslim. And at this point, for a while, this is when the indigenous movement started becoming popular, and York started to claim to be Chief Black Eagle, leader of the Yamasee Native American Moors of the Creek Nation, which they claimed was a lost Native American tribe that fought early European colonization. Okay. You're going all over the place on this one. All right. Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. This this gets wild. Okay. Just wild. Buckle up, everyone. So even applied for a license to operate a casino. Okay. Yeah. Because Native American. He's like, well, yeah, we're Native it's in American. my name now. So. Yeah. And, I mean, we were here. We were just lost. Yeah. Kind of found it. <laughs> so I have a little bit of a name breakdown because I feel like this is a long, like a big name. So Yamasi, which I'm just gonna drink because I don't know if that's how you pronounce that. Yahtzee? Yamasi? Yeah, it's like Native American Yahtzee. Uh, so they Yamasi claims affiliation with the Confederation of Muscogee. Same thing. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so Muscogee or Creek Native American nations in the Georgia area. And the Moors refers, I mean, have you heard of Moors? So it refers primarily to the Muslim inhabitants of the All right. Mag- Maghreb, the Iberian Peninsula, Sicily, and Malta during the Middle Ages. But variants of the term Moor have been used by Europeans since ancient times as a general description for indigenous Africans. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Drinking for Mag- Maghreb? M-A-G-H-R-E-B. I got nothing for you. Just just drink. <laughs> yeah. So, the group claims a prehistoric migration to America before the continents drifted apart. So, like, some Pangea shit. Okay. So, alright. Yeah. I mean, at least they're, like, semi- they're, like, educated. I mean, kind of, because... That's not really how, like, historic, like, how, at least how I've studied migration. Yeah. But. I, I don't know. Like, they heard the concept and they, like, try to incorporate yeah, it. Yeah, they tried to incorporate it, I guess. And, but they were lost for all these years. Yeah. And now they're found. Well, they are a cult. 
that like maybe they were taken up by aliens and now oh maybe they do have some ufo shit we'll get there okay in a second Sorry, I keep Next jumping. Part. I'm just jumping the jumping gun. Ahead. It's She's like I know for aliens. Now. <laughs> it's like she knows them. <laughs> just well, so predictable. Like, I know cults. <laughs> okay, so after this whole Native American thing kind of failed, um, they finally settle on the name United Nation of Nuwabian Moors, which I can pronounce. Yeah, you can. So I'm good. I'm content with this name. Okay, and I understand the name. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's helpful, right? Right. Um, so they then settle on an Egyptian motif, which is a little weird, but it, it kind of fits. Yeah. Vicinity. Yeah, it's in the vicinity. Well, then York starts identifying himself as a god from the planet. There's no right way to pronounce this. He made it up. Um, Rizk. Risk, risk you. It's R I Z Q. Risk, risk. I want to say it's called risk because, yeah, he's just being fancy. I'm just well, gonna, yeah, drinking. Okay, so they were lost on the planet of risk. Well, he was. He is from the planet risk, and then I guess he came down here and was like brought all his people back. Because they're all confused where to go. Yeah. Brought them all back together and said, we're going to go to Georgia and start this compound. Brooklyn to Georgia. Yep. So, clearly, as you guys can tell, the Nuwabians' belief system changed a lot over the years. So, it kind of lacks consistency and it's difficult to describe really what their belief system was. The group put out dozens of books many of which were largely plagiarized from New Age works. Yeah. That makes sense, though. Yeah. Shocker. Um, so as a result, Nuwabian mythology is a mix of UFO theories, talk about the significance of Egypt and the pyramids, references to Atlantis. Because they're in Atlanta, maybe? I... I'm just going with I that. I mean... Um... I guess maybe in their thinking. And they're near water ish. I guess. Um in ancient times. Okay. Okay. So and retelling of stories from the Bible and other religious texts. I find the retelling of stories from the Bible interesting because he was just hating on Christianity. Right. Like he really does not like it, but he's utilizing it as part of his religion, yeah. so at least he, it seems like he's a very smart man and he knows how to, like, yeah. work it. He does not seem dumb at all. No. Like, props to him for all of this shit. Like, he wasn't a really good lawyer, I feel like. Oh, yeah, probably. So, a common claim is that the original humans were black and that blacks are genetically superior to other races, while white people are called devils. And Nuwabians allege that their lighter skin color is the result of leprosy and the fact that their ancestors mated with dogs and jackals. Oh. So. Okay, but if you're scared of leprosy, you're going to move to the south where there's armadillos. Wait, what? <laughs> so armadillos are one of, like, the main causes of leprosy. Really? Yes. Well, and leprosy is no longer, like, a. it's not going to kill you. It's not a... Yeah, we can, like, stop it now. But, like, if they're so scared of leprosy, you're going to move to... I don't think they're scared of leprosy. They just think that white people 
are the result of leprosy mm. and sex with dogs and jackals. So white But people. still you're going to move to the south? I mean, yeah, well, moving to the south in general. But jackals, okay. Jackals. Yeah, they're, they're, that's fine. <laughs> I, I don't know. Okay, I'm not, I don't know what I'm trying to understand. There is no way to figure this out. Um, so the core beliefs of the Nuwabians can be found in um, what they call the Holy Tablets, which were written by York and are the guidebook of the organization. Who knows what's in there? I mean, I, I'm very curious. I would like to read one of these Holy Tablets. Me too. So they have their own alphabet. Of course they do. Of course, which was a simple substitution cipher. So just they just substituted A for another image. Okay. Yeah. Fancy. Um, but York taught a number of pseudo-etymologies for English words. I have some. I'm pretty excited about them. I like it. So believe was broken up to be be, lie, Eve to mean to lie to Eve's children. So it really is, like, incorporating. Oh, yeah. Okay. This one, next one, I think is my favorite. Caucasian from Carcass Asian, meaning degenerated Asian. Oh, boy. (laughs) He went there. He went there. Okay. It's, all right. So. (laughs) Carcass. Okay. Yeah. So dyslexia from the Greek dis, meaning difficult or hard or against, and the Latin lexia. Meaning law means to go against the law, which I'm like, all right, you actually like broke this shit down. Yeah. Um, God is a confusing one. So it's about Hebrew letters, Gomar, Oz, and Dubar signifying wisdom, strength, and beauty. But alternatively, this word comes from reversing the letters of dog, which, well, we all knew that. Yeah. Um... And then Jesus, a combination of the words jaw and Zeus. Okay. Okay. USA, from the Egyptian word usa, meaning I. And then drink, because I don't know if that's how you pronounce usa, but. All right. All right. That sounds right. Sounds good. Sounds good. I'm out of wine. I'm, I'm so good. <laughs> I drank that so fast. You're like, okay. Okay. So I have a quote from a former follower. Robert J. Rohan, regarding the group's move and ideology changes, and he says, Malachi York came up with the idea to move down south because he was under FBI investigation. He provided us, as his followers, the bogus rationale that we were moving down south to meet our spiritual parents. He always was quick to forget that he gave more than one reason for many changes that he introduced throughout the organization. After moving to Georgia, York and his followers claimed affiliation with Masons and with the Jewish, Christian, and Egyptian faiths. Once he started changing religious ideas, the older followers became skeptical and left the group. That's what happened to me. So So they just got sick of, like... Yeah, they were like... Make up your damn mind. Inconsistencies. Um, So constructed on this 476-acre compound were two 40-foot pyramids and a sphinx made out of wood and stucco. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. So they're really going for this Egyptian theme. 
going for it. I wonder if some people were like, seriously? Like, I don't know. I'd be kind of stoked to live on a property with a pyramid. Yeah, but the people that have to make it, I'd be like, no. <laughs> no. Just no. <laughs> Just say no. So according to York, it was a tribute to the group's ancient Egyptian ancestors. They got a lot of confusing uh, background. A little bit. Um, so the compound was named Tamaray, and nearly 2,000 Nuwabians lived there in cheap trailers while York lived in a mansion. Mm-hmm. York's operation became profitable, like super profitable, and during a June 1998 Savior's Day, which is York's birthday celebration, mm-hmm. at the Georgia compound, they took in about $500,000. They also charged Nuwabians $25 a year for their Nuwabian passports, which allowed them to enter and exit the compound. A network of chapters and bookstores called All Eyes on Egypt also brought in funds, and members continued to raise money through begging and holding jobs. So some did, I guess, actually have jobs. Um, One of the group's sources of revenue was a nightclub called Club Ramses. And it was illegal, illegally operated out of one of the pyramids. Hmm. Yeah. Some Vegas type shit. Yeah, it is. Well, I tried to get the casino going, but. Yeah. Didn't work. Didn't quite get there. Um, so the pyramids had only been zoned for use as a storage facility. So they started to get into some shit with the local government. And the group thought that. This zoning issue was a racial persecution, and they started distributing leaflets attacking whites. Um, and they would meet any building inspectors with guns. So they're building inspectors are like, ah, no, no, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. No building inspectors gonna deal with that. They're just gonna leave. Yeah. <laughs> um. So they end up alienating many residents in the area, not just the whites, black and whites. Um, because they were just being bullies. So, and, well, York came to believe that Tomaray was a sovereign nation and advocated that they weren't subject to the laws outside of their nation. So they had their own laws, their own courts, co- constitution? Constitution. <laughs> that incorporated elements from the United States. Co- I give up on speaking. <laughs> <laughs> so Words are hard. Words are so hard. Their constitution incorporated elements from the United States Constitution, the Magna Carta, and other assertions that are copied and pasted from other movements. Um, In May 1998, police officers shut down the club by seeking an injunction injunction (laughs) (laughs) against construction and uses that violated zoning. So they were finally like, you, you can't do this anymore. And in response, Nuwabians, of course, printed slanderous articles about the government officials of Edenton and threatened town leaders and would disrupt government board meetings. And after attorney Frank Ford represented the county in a lawsuit against the Nuwabians, his tires were slashed by Nuwabian spokesman Bernard Foster. A rock was thrown through his office window, and a gutted dog was left in the street next to his house. Don't bring the dogs into it. Right? Poor dog. And also, Putnam County Sheriff 
Howard Sills was sent a number of ano- a number of anonymous death threats. So within Putnam County, the Nuwabians lost Blacksport in part by trying to take over the NAACP chapter. But outside of the county, they appealed to national activists claiming to be racially persecuted in the county. Al Sharpton came to Tamaray in 1998 to speak against the town's racism. And Jesse Jackson spoke there in support of the New Wabians in April 2001. During this period, the group maintained holy tabernacle stores in more than a dozen U.S. cities and the United Kingdom and Trinidad and can continue to gain, gain revenue from there. So by 1998, whispers of York's sexual depravity reached law enforcement when they learned about a rash of underage girls giving birth in local hospitals. Mm. Yeah. Um, the sheriff said that the girls weren't allowed to speak. All the speaking had to be done through the men, and they would take the placenta with them when they left. And he suspected that this was to keep them from matching DNA to York's. Which is pretty smart. That's really smart, but also, that's a lot of placenta. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, Jacob York, which is uh, one of Dwight's oldest sons, learned about his father's compound around 1998. He had left the cult in 1990. Just like, this is the only time they ever talk about their kids. I've tried to do more looking into their children. There's just not a lot out there about them. Um, So troubled by the news of this compound, he went to Georgia um, to confront his father. And according to Jacob, York told him, I don't believe in any of this shit. If I had to dress up like a nun, if I had to be a Jew, I'd do it for this type of money. Which I'm not surprised about. Yeah. Based on what we already know about him. So the criminal investigation into York came uh, renewed in 2001 when his son Jacob uh, came to authorities and told them about York's decades of child sexual abuse. Jacob worked to build the case against York by helping the sheriff find and interview victims of his father's abuse. And soon afterwards, dozens of other victims, including Nikki Lopez, came forward to give investigators additional details of sexual and physical abuse in the group. In May of 2002, law enforcement arrested York and his main wife. Okay, main yeah, wife. His main wife, which I'm guessing is the same woman from Brooklyn. The OG. The OG, Kathy Johnson. So they were leaving the compound one day and they get arrested because the police were afraid that if they raided while they were there, that it would turn violent. Mm, which makes sense. So later that day after they were arrested, 300 local and federal officers, including the FBI, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and several local sheriff's departments raided the compound. Everyone was in on it. They're like, we... Yeah. We've got them. This was like a big deal. Yeah. Um, They weren't met with, like, no resistance. (coughs) They didn't have to fire any shots. Um, They did find a stockpile of guns, and they took five children into protective custody. And after a search, investigators found a census book with names, pictures, and birth dates for close to 100 of York's children. 
A hundred children. A hundred. Holy fuck, literally. Literally. Literally, Literally. holy fuck. Oh boy. That's a lot of children. So also found hanging on hooks in the hot tub area were little white dresses for little girls. And according to um, lawyer Frank Ford, the one that represented the county, um, he immediately thought that the dresses were for wedding ceremonies or for initiation, which, I mean, of course they were. They're white dresses. They're yeah. white dresses in a hot tub area. Oh, like maybe like, purification. I don't know. Oh, I'm sure their baptism was really pure. No, I'm sure. In a hot tub. <sighs> Ugh. So, in 2004, York's case, his federal case, went to court after the judge rejected a 15-year deal. So, go judge. Yeah. Um, York ended up being sentenced to 135 years in prison. That's a good one. Yeah. Good amount of time. That's a good one. Um, so he pled guilty on the state level to 40 counts of aggravated child molestation, 34 counts of child molestation, two counts of influencing witnesses, and one count of child exploitation. And for the federal charges, he was convicted on four counts of racketeering, six child molestation-related charges, um... And the racketeering charges enable the government to evict the Nuwabians and confiscate their property. I believe there was also, did I mention, there was also sex trafficking. Um, I think I left it out of here. But there were also charges for bringing minors across state lines for sex. Because hmm. they brought them from New York, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um. York's case was reported as the largest prosecution for mild, for child molestation ever directed at a single person in the history of the United States. Wow. Both in terms of number of victims and number of incidents. Gross. Yeah, super gross. Ugh. Well, he's not having fun in prison, I can tell you that Oh, much. I am sure. Um, so, Kathy Johnson, the main wife... OG. OG. Agreed to a guilty plea and was sentenced to two years in prison. She had been accused of child molestation, procuring children for sex, and instructing the children on sexual techniques. In April 2004, Johnson was sentenced to the two years in prison to be followed by 18 years on probation. And there were three other women who were initially charged but have never been prosecuted. So. so she's, like, out now. Or, well, she's out. But. Yeah, so she's out. And almost um, done with probation. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I couldn't find much on her, though. I'm sure she changed her name. I'm sure she's out there hiding somewhere. Um, In 2004, seven officers of the Macon, Georgia Police Department resigned from their jobs in protest against the prosecution of York. Yeah. And five of those officers were later hired by the Clark County, Georgia jail as guards. And four of them were fired in 2006 and the fifth resigned in the wake of charges that they were smuggling Nuwabinist literature into the jail, 
corresponding with York, encouraging inmates to rebel against white guards, and showing favoritism to Nuwabian prisoners. Wow. Yeah. Like started a ring. Oh. Yeah, they had like their insiders in there. Wow. Um, and the jail commander was fired after he began an investigation of the Nuwabian influence at the jail. And he said that he believes it's because he undertook this investigation. Yeah. Um, in 2005, 200 Nuwabian protesters demonstrated in Atlanta during York's appeal, but his convictions were upheld. And York is eligible for parole in 2122. 2122. 2122. And he was, like, in his 60s. I mean, he's born in 90, 1945, so he's 74. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. So... I don't think he's going to make it to 2122. I don't I don't think so. I don't think so, unless he's really from the planet Risk. Right. He might disappear to Risk for a minute. Maybe. Be gone and then be found. <laughs> M.O. So there are still some Nuwabians around, although the numbers are greatly diminished. Um, in 2009, the Nuwabians tried to get York out of jail by sending false documents to his maximum security prison. Um, some of the documents were even stamped by notary publics. Wow. Yeah, they went, like, all out. They tried. Um, and Howard Sills, the sheriff that was responsible for York's arrest, has also been harassed by the Nuwabians, and they've sued him more than 12 times and once placed a fake lien on his property. Wow. So, I have some other pseudonyms for the group. I'm out of wine, so... I'll just have to make up for it, because this is going to be fun. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a ride. You ready for these pseudonyms? I'm ready. Actually, I'm going to pour, because I'm thirsty. Yeah, pour, girl. Pour it. Okay, so let's get into these pseudonyms. The first one's a real doozy, right out the bat. Ansarula. Ansarula? Ansarula. Okay. Uh, the Ansar Pure Sufi community. Sufi? Probably Sufi. Sons of the Green Light. That one's my favorite. Easy. Yeah. And a Green Light, that's probably Risk, right? The planet Risk. Risk, yeah. Uh, Nubian Islamic Hebrews. Okay. Nubian Hebrew Mission. The Holy Tabernacle Ministries. The Egyptian Church of Karast. The Nuwabian Grand Lodge, which reminds me of Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. The Supreme Grand Lodge also reminds me of Twin Peaks. Anything with Grand Lodge, I think. Um, the International Supreme Council of Arab Shrinedom. Okay. The Ancient Mystic Order of Melchizedek. Oh boy, that's a big old drink one. <laughs> and... The ancient Egyptian order. I got. I can. That's easy. I'm gonna that's take an easy some one. Sips for that. Mm -hmm. Take five sips. Oh. All right. I have some accomplishments. He actually. Um. He actually had some accomplishments out in the world, okay. other than being a musical artist in the eighties. And a plagiarizer. And a plagiarizer. At some point, he was awarded the keys to the city by Mayor Ed Koch. Koch. I hope his last name is actually Koch. Yep. <laughs> I'm sure he's like kicking himself, like 
really did. Yeah. So after cleaning up the slum and drug-infested Bushwick Avenue community in New York, when he, you know, had all his people in those apartments, um, he was given the keys to the city. Oh. He was named one of the state's 50 most influential men by the Georgia Informer. And he had a successful petition to then-President Bill Clinton, resulting in the religious land use and installation... In, that's not the right word. Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act of 2000. Yeah, he has an act that he helped get through, I guess. Wow. Um, here's a few media things. There were more, but... A Muslim cleric, Bilal Phillips, published The Ansar Cult in America in 1988, um, basically saying that the movement is un-Islamic. Uh, People Magazine Investigates Cults, which I did not know was a thing. I knew about People Magazine Investigates, but I guess they now have a cults show. Oh. So they have an episode on this. We should probably watch this. I agree. I'm going to watch all of them. It's amazing. Them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the case was described in the book Ungodly, A True Story of Unprecedented Evil by Bill Osinski, who was a reporter who covered the Nuwabians in Georgia during the late 90s. And that's that. That was long. At, oh, my God. That was so long. Yeah. 50 minutes. That is so long. You're welcome. Well, it's going to be a long episode. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. Well, all right. Okay. Well, Heather. My turn. I'm going to get comfy. Get all comfy. Okay. Well, my guy is kind of similar to yours a little bit. Similarities, but again, cults and things. Yeah. So they I'm do gonna, what they do. They do. They, they be crazy. So I'm going to discuss the, again, this is Colonial Dignidad. Dignidad? Drink? Dig. Dig. <laughs> also known as the Dignity Colony. Located the Dignity in Ch- Colony? The Dignity Colony. Like, oh, diggity. Oh, back it up. <laughs> yep, exactly. Just like that. And they're located in Chile. Oh, well, that's cool. Well, so the colony was led by Paul Schaefer. Schaefer was born in Bonn, Germany in December of 1921. I couldn't find too much information on him as a child, but I did find he joined the Hitler Youth Movement Oh, at a very young age. So that sets the precedence of where we're going here. Yeah. So he went on to serve a medic for, the, for Nazi Germany during World War II, where he became a, a corporal. After the war, he set up a children's home and a baptism ministry and a private uh, social mission. But soon after, he was charged with sexually abusing two children. Of course. So, set out to do some good. He was doing real good, and then not so much. So Started to fix his life. But, like, he was, yeah, a children's home, a private social mission, and then... He just wanted to get close to the kids. You know, he had ulterior... Ulterior... Oh, boy, I'm going to go for it. Okay. So, he fled West Germany... And some of his followers followed him. So I guess people were already, he was already charismatic and people, I think because he was also a corporal. Yeah. People just wanted to follow him. And he formed a community in Gronau, Germany. All right. Where, well, shocker, the community focused on working with children at risk. Oh. Yeah. 
soccer. Because well, the children are literally at risk with him. But okay. <laughs> the, con- the community seemed to be functioning well at first. Many of the members respected Schaefer and would perform hard labor without pay. Hmm. And during this time, Schaefer followed and taught the teachings of an American preacher, William N. William M. Branham, who was an American Christian minister and a faith healer who initiated the post-World War II healing revival. Okay. Yeah. That's something. So his beliefs included a strict adherence to the Bible, a woman's duty to obey her husband, and, of course, my favorite, apocalyptic visions, such as Los Angeles sinking beneath the ocean. I mean, that's still one of the apocalyptic visions it's in still, my life. It, I mean, it's still so Maybe real. Maybe not sinking into the ocean. or But, like, going bye-bye. Yeah. Like, cutting off and going into the yeah. ocean. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a thing. So, apocalyptic visions. Shocker. All right. Of course, their time in Grinnell was short, as stories reemerged of his allegations of sexual abuse. And as a result, Schaefer moved several hundred members to Chile. Oh, so Germany to South America. I mean, like, land's cheaper? Maybe? Land's cheaper, and I think there was, like, a big movement of, like, Germans yeah. to oh, Chile Oh, yeah, there kind of time. was, yeah. I think. They're, I think you're right. Yeah, I don't... I, I think the Ger- Germans are just leaving Germany. Every, yeah. They so, were going everywhere. But, so, you know, hundreds of people moved to Chile to follow him. And, of course, the Chilean government granted him permission to create the Dignidad Beneficient Society. Okay. On a farm outside of Peral, Chile. And the group continued to focus on Baptist principles. And the society eventually evolved into Colonia Dignidad. Colonia Dignidad. Or Colony of Dignity. Yo, Dignity. (laughs) So, this colony was very secretive, and it was surrounded by barbed wire fences, a watchtower, and searchlights. If your religious movement requires a barbed wire and searchlights... Something's going on. Yeah, it's dig a hole. It's not a good place. You you get out. So clearly something was happening inside. However, they did communicate to people outside of the walls, portraying a harmonious society. So Schaefer created his own group of press where they were ordered to record and broadcast videos showing their happy residents and celebrations, men dedicated to farm work. And girls embroidering or preparing butter. Preparing butter. So what I'm going to do with all my free time. So men being men and women being women. Yeah. Very stereotypical yeah. of the time. Right. Very harmonious society. Utopian. Yes. Harmonious as long as you don't say anything out of order. Yes. You be perfect all the time. Yes. And even if people were to enter the village, it did appear to be utopian society. They had modern apartment complexes, they had two schools, a chapel, meeting houses, a bakery, animal stables, two landing strips. Do we know how many people they had? I actually was thinking, I don't, I never saw like the full number. It might have been like 500, I think. Because two schools? Two schools. My class had a thousand people in it. Yeah. Well, they had two schools. And two landing strips? Two landing strips and a full plane. They had a plane. One plane, two landing strips. 
Well, that seems excessive. I think it was for other said reasons, but we'll we'll, okay, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get there. They had a, a hydroelectric power station, mills and factories, including a gravel mill that supplied raw materials ma- raw materials for projects throughout Chile. Okay. So they were providing. They were Yeah. And on the north side of the village was actually a hospital where the Germans provided free care to thousands of patients. So I think it was kind of like closed off like from the village where everyone from Chile actually was able to go yeah. and get free health care. Well, that's kind of cool. So it's cool. So I think they were kind of be like, yeah, we're, we're good We're society. cool. We're good. All is come well get here. your free band-aids. But just don't come inside. No. So this is your entrance. This is yours. Right here to the hospital. But you try to come in. We got our barbed wire fences. Yeah. Don't come in. So although it appeared as a perfect society, there's obviously more going on. And in reality, Schaefer ran a fear-based colony where members were barred from interacting with the outside world. Oh, really? Oh, shocker. Oh, who would have thought? Really? Oh. The barbed wire didn't, uh, didn't Did it? tell no. them that that was going to be a thing? No, not yeah. so much. Okay. Members were often encouraged to confess to him both their own sins and the sins of others that they had witnessed. Oh, that doesn't sound like something a cult would do at all. Never. Never. No. And supposed sinners were often publicly outed and shamed during gatherings and meals. Again, another yeah. shocker. Schaefer ordered the division of families, so parents didn't talk to their children, and siblings didn't know who their siblings were. He forbid all kinds of relations, whether it be friendly or sexual, among adult women and men, and segregated the living quarters of each sex, because women were thought to be inherently sinful Plagued by sexuality. I'm so plagued by sexuality. So plagued by sexuality. <laughs> I must be taken away from men at all times. Yes. Well, he even went as far as forcing residents to take drugs to reduce their desires. Drugs reduce your desires? What drugs? It's like probably alcohol. Whiskey. Whiskey dick. Whiskey dick. A little bit. But it's the women with the desires. Remember? I know. But- women don't get whiskey dick. Oh, whiskey, that frisky. actually helps them. So, but you know, again, cults—they—they they, they know what's going on. They yeah, they all. clearly understand women, obviously, and human beings as a whole. Exactly, and what's best for us, obviously. And Schaefer insisted that discipline was spiritually enriching. It was helping us. Help, very helpful. Thank very you. Helpful. Very, Thank very you helpful. for your help. And, of course, he dictated all parts of relationships, including when to get married, when to have children. And most of the time, however, conceptions of family inside the colony were not based on genetics, but on the loyalty to Schaefer. And he self-identified as the permanent uncle. Permanent uncle. Basically, your creepy uncle. Yeah. Ultimate creepy uncle. Very, very creepy. So if you don't have a creepy uncle of your own, I bet you. You've you, got a perm. You have a permanent uncle. creepy uncle. He'll volunteer. Schaefer will forever be the permanent uncle. So yeah. You have it. Feel. Yeah. There you go. You filled that hole in your life. We got you. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when a child was born, in some cases, the child was actually illegally adopted. Because, again, shocker. And, you know, cults, flabbergasted. They would never do such they a thing. They would never steal children and do bad things. Never. Uh, they would not say 
stay with their biological parents, but rather be raised by nurses in a group called the babies. And each life stage was categorized. Well, at least they're being raised by nurses. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm not sure if they're, like, trained nurses. Oh, yeah, but, probably not. But they're living with nurses, so. There's that, I guess. Okay, so what are these stages? So the, each life was categorized. So there's the wedges, which were up to age 15. The wedges. The wedges. Like, just, you know. Like, like my heels? Like, yeah, like they're, <laughs> they're, they're like the baby heel. Yeah, like, <laughs> they're wedging their light way up into life. Okay. The army of salvation, which was ages 15 to 30. That makes sense. The elder servants, 30 to 50. Oh, let me just tell my boyfriend he's an elder servant. Oh, I'm an elder servant, too. You're welcome. I'm not there yet. I'm still an army of salvation for another year. That's what you have to look for for your 30th birth. (laughs) You're going to be an elder servant. And lastly, the Comolos. Comolos? Really? 50 plus Comolos. Really? Yep. They just had to change the whole theme there. eh, They're like, well, we're in Chile. Let me do like switch it up so this was done in an effort to give everyone an exact role in the colony's orders inhabitants lived in groups of six and they all would wear similar german 30s style clothing or a bavarian peasant garb Ooh, i like it i'm digging this like yeah. it's a whole vibe it's a whole vibe so a whole vibe they're all wearing the same thing there's no phones there's no german like, 30s or Bavarian peasant wear. Let's bring it back. All right. Bavarian peasant wear. Halloween. Bavarian peasant garb. Everyone, we've got your Halloween costume for you. (laughs) Yep. Picked it out. Don't do Stranger Things. Everyone else is doing it. Don't do it. Yeah, everyone's going to do it. Yeah. And they're often heard singing German folk songs. Keeping the tradition alive. German folk songs are pretty good. Yeah. And they're, they're garb. Yeah, it matches. He's clearly stuck in a way of life, though. Like, Germany in the 30s was clearly his pride. His place. That he peaked. He peaked, and he wanted to keep it that way. Like, they were not allowed to move forward. No. They were right Stuck there. in time, like Pleasantville. Yeah. They were stuck right there in their... All right. Yes. He knew what he liked. So each person would work 12-plus-hour days. Receiving no payment, but doing so for the sake of Colonia Dignidad. It's probably Yo, not the same I'm a back <laughs> every time. <laughs> we'll have to play that at the end of the song. Or at the end of the song, end of the <laughs> podcast. It's just a little bit of love. So, uh, okay, wrote that wrong. Okay. So, even after Wolfgang Mueller, a colony resident, fled in 1966 and first exposed of the atrocities, and he returned to Germany and began working in a newspaper and became an activist. He helped a fellow colony member, Heinz Kuhn. That's a German as fuck name. Very. Heinz Kuhn. He <laughs> helped him also escape and come back to Germany. Sounds like a German raccoon. Heinz Kuhn. Heinz Kuhn. Oh, it does sound like it. Okay. Cool. Or also, like, Heinz, which makes me want... Ketchup? Which makes me want French fries. Yeah. Uh, so he's, Always. like, a German raccoon that's addicted to French fries. I picture him wearing a barrette. Ooh. It's like a cartoon. Being a German raccoon wearing a barrette eating French fries. Ooh. A beret, rather. A beret. Yeah. 
Okay. 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 So he <sighs> okay. He helps people escape back so, to Germany. So Mueller gets Heinz out, and Heinz confirms everything that Mueller has said. However, these allegations are rejected by politicians because they were too closely tied to the management of the colony. So, oh, of course. So Germany's like, yeah, we don't. Nah, we're not getting involved. They're yeah. in Chile. No, it doesn't it doesn't affect us anymore. I mean, yeah. and they just had this huge fucking world war yeah. that like, yeah, the world's they, like they they don't need to they're like, get involved in any scandals at this like, point. Nope, 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 nope. We're not not involved. Nope, nope. They still want nothing to do with getting involved in scandals. Yep, it's yep, just, yep. They're like we we'd had our fuck up of a lifetime a little bit. So it wasn't until 1990 when. Chile went from a dictatorship to a democracy, and things began to change. So allegations of abuse inside the colony increased, and national and international pressure intensified. And with each time, the police tried to conduct an investigation. But of course, everyone was like, ah, nah, nah get out of here. We don't want this. So the, and actually the authorities within the colonia, were very powerful, and they actually had allies in the army that would tell them when they were going to come oh, to search course. it. So everyone was very prepared. Shocker. Yeah. And slowly, the Chilean public awareness began to change, creating a growing feeling of resentment towards the place, which began to be perceived as an independent state within Chile. Oh, look at this. We both covered our own sovereign nation. Right? I know. That's why I was like, they're very similar today. Yeah. We and- tend to do that. And we, I know, it's like we know. Like, we're connected. In 1991, the name of the settlement was changed to Villa Baviera. Drink. Uh, uh, so, B- Villa Baviera, like Bavarian village. Maybe, yes. Is that what it looks like? B-A-V-I-E-A-R. Maybe. R-A. Or B-A-V-I-E-R-A. No, maybe. But maybe. I'm not really sure why i think it was more of like a tactic to be like we're not a colony we're we're yeah, just a, we're villa. a villa we're a villa we're a fancy we're fancy. villa like we're just a hotel like the getty villa right we're just fancy with Ooh, our maybe the getty villa was actually called maybe conspiracy well i mean it also wasn't the best like this but okay <laughs> that's for another day so of course schaefer went back to his old ways and in 1996 he fled child abuse charges and escaped arrest until 2005. So he's gone for nine years. Oh. In 2006, he was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Okay, but like he's old as fuck in 2006. Yeah. So he actually died in 2010 at the age of 88 in prison. So okay. He, but he did go to prison for child molestation. molestation. But as they started to investigate... They actually came across a lot of things. Okay. Tell me more. Oh, I will. So, as they investigated, they discovered a history of criminal activity (laughs) in the Enclave, including child sexual abuse, money laundering, and an illegal arms operation. Oh, and of course there was an illegal arms operation in a... In a cult in Chile. A cult of ex-Nazi. Yeah. With... A whole commune. Yeah. Yeah, with a whole commune. Yep. That, that makes sense. And there was proof that Schaefer work, worked alongside the Nazis to create the colony with all the tunnels and, like, the way that the structures were built. Oh. 
I'm sure he had tons of Nazi buddies and help him engineer. Absolutely. They and had that's some why super his... smart scientists and engineers. Right. And they're like, okay, well, we'll move you to Chile. And that's why when people went back to Germany, they're like, we're not going to. That's like our own operation. We're not going to deal with that. Yeah. But it was also discovered that the dictator and the secret police that ruled Chile during this time were actually imprisoning people and sending them there to be prisoners. Oh, it's like their own Guantanamo. It was. Oh, that's so smart, isn't it? And that's why, so when they granted him access, but they made a deal that was like, we're not going to charge you taxes or do any of this, but you have to take in all of our prisoners. Which is good for him, too, because then he has more people. And he has more people. And more people that are willing to do illegal, fucked up shit. And he's protected. So there's people on the inside oh that's so brilliant isn't it it's so crazy crazy he ever got caught well of his sexual yeah sex just gets you in trouble right keep it in your pants but so obviously the captives were tortured in numerous ways is including mutilation from dogs electric shocks yada 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 it is believed that there was over 1100 disappeared persons in Chile, or des, desa part, I can't speak yeah. Spanish. Yep, that one. You yep, know. yep. If you know how to speak Spanish, you know what she was trying to say. Desparacitos. I think that that sounds right. Uh, were taken. It sounds to the, like they were desperate. They were desperate, and they were taken. No, that's despacito, right? Despacito. <laughs> they so yeah, eleven hundred people were taken to the colony where they were tortured and killed. And it's believed that they were thrown out to sea or burned. So there's no evidence of that that happened. It, they believe that, like, the bodies were actually put into a grave. But then the dictator was like, that's a bad idea. Let's dig up the grave and then, like, burn them and threw them out. I mean, that's what I would do. Yeah. Like, wait Except a second. I'd be, I would have never just buried them on my property. Right. Like, I think that as people Idiotic. started becoming, like, aware of kind of what was going on, he was like, hmm. Maybe not let that happen. Yeah, maybe at first he was like, "This will work." Like we don't want to raise attention to us. By but like bringing it, but... this big commune with barbed wire fences and, like, and searchlights. <laughs> let's go back to the fact that he was a Nazi and he's gonna bury them. Like right. Well, yeah. I mean, the Nazis had lots of ways of. I think they also, but they yeah. had mass graves. But like, I'm sure they, they could have been. They smart. incinerated That's people. True. I mean, they could have been smarter. But he, he he knew ways, I'm sure. I'm sure. But, well, so then they dug them all up, and then they took care of it. So, you know. Yeah. They saved it for later. They're like, I want to deal with that now. We'll do. Leftovers. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, boy. We're, we've turned dark when we're talking about stuff like this. Like, yeah, death. It's fine. It's fine. It's totally fine. Um, it's fine. Just standing here in my fire. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, one of the 1,100 people that disappeared was a U.S. citizen named Boris Weisfeller, who was a Weisfeller Weisfeller, who was actually a Soviet-born mathematics professor at Penn State, and or Penn Pennsylvania State University. Yeah, Penn State. Um, he actually vanished on a hike near the border between Chile and Argentina. That's why you don't hike alone. Yeah, never hike alone. And hype. 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 Don't hype alone. Don't hype. Hike. Hike alone. Also, don't hype alone. It's not nearly as much fun. It's really not. Don't do that. 
Uh, it's believed that he was kidnapped and taken to the colony where he was tortured and killed. Makes sense. That tracks. Yep. In 2012, a judge in Chile ordered the arrest of eight former police and army officials over the kidnapping of Weisfeller, citing evidence from declassified U.S. files. Declassified? Declassified. So, they... Something happened. Some shit went down. Something happened. But, I mean, he was a Soviet-born mathematics professor. Yeah. So, something... He was, he probably, was doing something. He, he was, was not on a hike. He was not on a hike. And he was making, not on a hike let's in just, Chile. Let's be real. Yeah. On January 28th, 2013, six former leaders of the colony were sentenced to prison by Chile's Supreme Court. But the case which prosecuted Chilean and German citizens for the crime committed in the 1990s was not over yet, according to 2013? a... 2013? Fuck. I know. Well, the story was not over yet, according to the Santiago Times. Uh, so I feel like they're like, well, they have so much power that something's probably going to come out of this. Yeah. And as of 2005, a colony remains on this site. Its leaders insist that it's different and it's a changed organization. They always do. They always do. They're uh, just better at hiding their bullshit now. Exactly. Well, now they're allowing people to leave and go study at university. And it is also a place of dark tourism. So if you want to go visit. Ooh, hell yeah. You can now go visit. I love me some dark tourism. Yep. So if you have been there or if you do go there. If you've been there, send us your all photos and your recommendations and all the things. Just everything. But yeah. not to the hike where that guy died. Yeah, don't do the hike. Don't well, send us But there. also don't be like someone that's clearly like. Not hiking. Yeah. Be smart. Be smart. But that's all I have that's on the, uh, my, the Nazi, Chilean, German. I liked it. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, it was fun. That was so much fun. That was a ride. We went on some journeys today. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, I think we're done. We're done. Okay, guys. You can go now. Well, but yeah, you know. Well, not yet. Wait a second. Do Wait. all the things. Wait like... Two whole minutes while I say this spiel. You know the spiel. You know the spiel. Rate, subscribe, love us. Yes. If you didn't like us, just don't listen. I don't know how you made it this far. Well then, just just let it be. Yeah. If you liked us even a little bit, give us five stars. We'd super appreciate it because we love you guys too. Follow uh, us on all the, the gram, the Facebook. Yeah. At Bang Bang Cult. Uh, email. email us. Bang Bang Cult at Gmail. Yeah. That's it. Okay. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.